Good morning and welcome to Five Alive. It is another beautiful day here in Mahale Chandigarh. We are uh, having, celebrating uh, Happy Friendship Day to everyone out there. And uh, today we're going to be reading in the book of John. Again, we're picking up in verse 31. We're going to read through verse 38. And this is going to have some familiar text to it. Um, that is going to be recognized by people. Here's the main reason that is, is because in our society today, we have had people um, misquote or take a portion of uh, the verses that we're going to talk about today, and, um, and they've spoken them. For example, uh, when we get into verse 31 and into 32, you're going to recognize uh, that portion of scripture. And if I remember correctly, I've even heard a few villains in movies I've read this in several books where they try and use this portion of scripture to manipulate somebody into following them or believing what they say to be true. And as a result, I just kind of want to encourage us to recognize misquoting the Bible, misquoting the scripture is not of God or something his ambassadors are to do. This is a tool of God's enemies, meaning it is vital for us to know God's word and understand it. And we're going to talk more about that here in a second. And so Xavier, if you'll go ahead and read for us, John chapter eight, verse 31 through 38. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. All right, brilliant. And so um, with this, I just kind of want to break it down a little bit and, and, and discuss, uh, because again, like I was saying earlier, uh, the truth will set you free. That is kind of a phraseology that uh, we love in the 21st century. We love to say that. We love to, um, to use it. We love to have it be our manipulative tool to get our way. I know the truth. And so therefore, and, and we kind of talk like that, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. Let's look at the full statement he gives. And that is, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's the whole statement. That's not cutting it up and making it fit what I want it to say. And so as a, um, a, a disciple of Christ, I want to exhibit this and break it down a little bit for us today. And so um, let's just take it piece by piece. The first portion, if you abide. Now to abide means to live, to dwell, to settle, to remain, and or to continue. And so just with those first three uh, adjectives, to live, to dwell, to settle, when I say abide, or when I say to live, or to dwell, or to settle, what is it that comes to mind? What do you think of? Uh, what is it that, that like, I say, you know, like those tests, I say the word and you give me a response. Like, I, I, think, I think of home. You think of home. Same. Same. I think of the house. House. Home. Sure. I think uh, of uh, 
my home also, I have that same thing written in my notes. I think of um, also a few other things. I think of comfort or relaxation. Like here in India, I have a chair that's kind of my favorite chair to sit in uh, because uh, I can sit, it's underneath the air conditioner, um, it blows on me there, I can I can see the TV if I want to. I even sit there if I'm like doing work, if I'm working on the computer, if I am even painting, I even like sitting there to paint or do, to do some hobbies, to read. Um, it's a relaxing place, it's a place that I, I live or I dwell or I settle. I also think of growth because of all those things I just mentioned, um, I do that in this comfortable place I grow. When I'm reading a book, I'm growing. But at the same time, I'm also challenged by some of the books that I read. Like I, I read them and I'm like, oh my goodness, like this is something that is in my life that I need to change about me. And so I'm challenged in that, in that, that comfortable spot. I'm also strengthened. And uh, another thing I think of in our house, especially after this wonderful week of of my birthday, my wife made this amazing carrot cake, and I think of good food, um, it, it, things that just bring me relaxation. Um, and then, uh, what if these were the exact feelings and emotions in life that we live in God's Word this way? What if God's Word is home? What if God's Word is the place that I dwell? What if it's the place that I relax, but I'm challenged? What if it's a place that I struggle in? What if God's word was those things to me? How would that change my life? Or how has it changed my life? Like Blair and I have discussed before, we came to salvation uh, in Christ years ago. Um, I was 15, she was eight. Um, how has dwelling in God's word really affected uh, the way we live. For me, I, I find it to be something that uh, pops up, uh, a scripture that pops up in my mind when I'm in the middle of doing something. Like because I'm dwelling in God's word, when I am out and about, when I'm driving down the road, when I'm meeting a friend, when I'm talking with somebody for the first time, I will have a recollection of God's word come to my mind and um, it enhances the conversation that we have. Or other times I'll have that come into my mind. I'll, I'll know that it's not something I can say in this moment, but it's something for my own edification and my own encouragement. And that helps me a lot, especially in those moments uh, when I'm so eager to um, be hard on myself or to maybe even go into a moment of uh, what could be considered uh, uh, depression or, or hard-hitting uh, things on my life. Um, and so uh, that's just something for me. Did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? Yeah, when, when I think of um, asking Christ Jesus into my heart, I definitely always think of the heart. The, you know, our heart is the strongest muscle, and we're mm -hmm. to keep it activated, and we're to keep it going. You know, walking three miles a day is really good strengthening exercise, uh, to keep our heart fresh and going. And so when I look at that in my, with my relationship with Christ Jesus, what am I doing, doing daily to continue to dwell um, in him and to, and to get to know him? So through that would be definitely reading uh, the, the scriptures through the Holy Bible, meditating on his word and listening uh, to the Holy Spirit 
and then absolutely the the application of, of putting God's word into practice and also just being a uh, boldness light of shining bright for others to see who Christ Jesus is and to continually just to learn and to glean. And when things need to be, you know, I don't walk three miles a day every day. And, you know, there are those days when I don't read God's scripture each and every day. And do I defeat myself and be like, well, this Jesus isn't for me. God's holy word isn't for me. You know, exercising. Well, yeah, if I lose my heart, I lose my heart. I, I have to get things back into priority, things back into, into a discipline type measure of life of I need to continue to seek out Christ Jesus. I need to ask for his repentance, you know, daily. Lord God, please forgive me for what I have just done and uh, help me to see what I need to to get rid of. Mm. What, am, what am I making um, more of a priority than you? Yeah. What is it that I'm putting in place of you? And then also I need to reflect back in my own spirit physical life of, you know, getting, you know, that exercise right back in that, you know, that daily discipline of. So that's how I, I look at it. Absolutely. And you're kind of going into the second half of that definition. And I want to come to you, Xavier and Mallory, uh, by, by just asking this question, but you guys go ahead and elaborate on everything we've talked about so far. And that is uh, to remain and or to continue. This is another definition of to abide. Um, and when I, because that's what you were talking about. How do I remain or how do I continue in God's word in those moments when I do falter or when I do make the mistake of, oh my goodness, 24 hours just elapsed and I did not crack the Bible open. Um, does that mean now all of a sudden I'm not a son of God? Well, no, it doesn't mean that, but but it means that it is going to, I'm going to be encouraged by the Holy Spirit to get back into the word and to continue to remain. So go back and dwell in that home, go back and dwell in that comfort place or go back to that place of growth. And I'm going to therefore continue moving forward each moment. So Xavier, what do you got? Oh, what was the question? Uh, yeah, I mean, just anything of what we're talking about so far. So when I say uh, to remain and or continue, uh, when I say these words, when I say the words dwell, settle, uh, live, what comes to mind? And especially when it comes to God's word. Well, we've moved around quite a lot for the majority of our lives. And so it, to, be, to be able to remain in one place sounds weird. Because I, we, I started growing up in U.S. and then we moved to India then we moved back to the U.S. for a few years and came back to India and then U.S. and India. And then we take vacations in between there to different countries. And so it's weird to think of being able to remain in one place because we've never really settled. But at the same time, I have found that I don't need to settle in one place on earth if I am settled in God's word and mm -hmm. in his heart. I mean, with him in my heart. And so then with that... It doesn't matter where I am on this earth because I am with Christ always. And that is my dwelling place. And he is who I live with and look up to and strive to follow after and be like. And so in that, I know I'm not at home on earth. And so where I am doesn't matter as long as I am with Christ. Sure. And that goes along with what we were trying to discuss last week. And I think we got a little I got a little rush. I got a little hurried myself. Um, and that is, Jesus said, I'm not of this world and this is not my place. We're the, if we're children of God, this is, we're pilgrims, we're passing through, we're aliens, we're, we're not of this world. 
And, uh, and that's a great way of, uh, uh, because the place that I am currently living in, in Mahali, isn't going to be my lifelong home, but God's word is my lifelong home. Yeah, that's, that's really good, Xavier. Mallory, did you have anything? No. Okay. Uh, so uh, I also look at these words to remain and to continue uh, in this beautiful way of I, I can return more than once a day. Like, for example, I can leave my physical abode. I can walk out the door. I can go across the street to my office, which, yes, I know I'm blessed and fortunate to just go across the street to my office. Uh, and I can come home for lunch. And then I can go back to my office. And then I can come home after work is over. And, and I have uh, the opportunity to return more than once a day. And the same is true with God's word. I don't have to just say, okay, I've only got five minutes uh, I just woke up and I know it's important to do this first. And so I've got this five minutes and that's it. And, and I'm going to be so busy throughout the day that, uh, that there's no way I can return back to God's word. Like that is a, a check in my heart that I want to look at and go, no, what if I do have an opening later on, um, in my day? Does that mean that I just sit there and veg out? Or does that mean I get on my phone and start looking at YouTube videos? Or does that mean that I have the ability to return back to God's word? And I can continue to dwell there because I can return back to God's word numerous times throughout the day. And I can carry, as I was saying earlier, like sometimes in conversations, I have the word of God because I've been reading it and dwelling on it and meditating as Blair brought up so poignantly and beautifully um, that when I'm going to other places, reciting or repeating God's word means that I'm carrying it with me wherever I go. And that is so vital and important to us um, in the context of what Jesus is saying today. So now putting these adjectives together and describing what Jesus is saying, abide in my word, brings me to understand that God's word is important to know him. It's also important to know myself. It's important to know my world, the people around me and the natural resources that are right here. In other words, I am fulfilled when I abide in God's word. And that's what I take away from that just little segment of what Jesus says right there. And next I wanna go into the word or in my word. Now, what is Jesus referring to here when he says my word? Um, he's referring to the Bible the scriptures and so but he doesn't mean just what he has spoken through the bible or anything like that like we're not supposed to just go through the bible and read all the red parts in the new testament because jesus said it but he means to read all of it from genesis to revelation the old testament and the new testament the old testament is just as important as the new testament is together because together they make so much sense and they blend together and they work for they work for each other right and so with that, I think God wants us to go into the Bible and study and abide there and learn stuff from it Yeah. and see the parallels in between this and that and try and use it in our daily lives and continue studying after his word, whether that is, and if a scripture is heavy on your heart or like you read a scripture one day and you're like, man, that was really good and you reread that scripture for a whole month, a year, it doesn't matter because you're meditating on what God wanted you to do in general. It's not just to read through the Bible in one year. A if checklist. You, a checklist. If you read the Bible for what it is and you're not trying to rush through it, 
but instead you're doing it because you want to and because it's speaking to you in that moment, then that is what I think is what he wants us to do in abiding in his word. Yeah. When I think of word, the scripture, John 1, 1 comes to my mind. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And as Xavier was alluding to just a second ago, Jesus isn't, uh, I have in my notes, not necessarily talking about just the New Testament or just the red letters. Uh, If you have a red letter edition of the Bible that you're reading through, that's not the only thing he's talking about. But this is actually Jesus, uh, when he says my word, he's giving his divine stamp of uh, authority approval of the 39 Old Testament books, saying these are theologically, uh, he's theologically speaking, he's canonizing them, saying this is my word. The Old Testament is my word. And then the words that are written down by eyewitnesses of who Jesus is, the importance of Matthew, the importance of John, the importance of the fact that, yeah, Mark was a little boy when he heard Jesus speaking these things, but he remembered them. They were recalled back to his memory. The Holy Spirit gave him the impromptu. He wrote them down. And so therefore we have the book of Mark, but also we have the book of Luke where he went around and gathered from other eyewitnesses and he compiled the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And so you have these Um, scriptures today that we can read. And I know the the question may be out there, um, how do I know this is God's word? Or maybe God's word has been changed through the ages or through the years. The beautiful thing about Jesus is saying this. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is, is that we can look at references to see that God's word hasn't changed. We have the Septuagint. We have the Torah. Uh, Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. We have the Torah, which is a a divine scripture that the Jewish men and women, they read, and this is important. We have the Pentateuch, which is something that is memorized by many Jewish scholars. And then on top of that, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls, which gives us something from the first century AD that we have both Old Testament and New Testament books that were found by archaeologists back in the 1950s, 1960s. And we can compare what was written then with what we have in today's Bible, and we do not see error coming through it. And the beauty of that is absolutely amazing to me um, when Jesus says, Uh, abide in my word, I know this isn't something that has changed because of the historicity that is there. And by the way, I love that word historicity. It's one of my favorite to say, so that's why I had to throw it out there. Uh, But um, the Bible has also helped scientists. The Bible has helped scientists specifically in archaeology because the Bible will say, this is what happened at this time. And science or historians will say, well, that's not true. That never happened. Archaeologists go and they start digging up stuff. And all of a sudden they see that the Bible was accurate and it helps archaeologists. I find that absolutely exciting and fascinating. And so regular study of God's word has also um, uh, assisted several Nobel Nobel Prize lawyers or other scientists or writers. And and there's just so much authority that is in the word. And I find that so beautiful because it is encouraging. Uh, So God's word, uh, what level of importance does it hold? What level of importance does it hold in your life? Can it be trustworthy? Does it help me uh, in daily use in the 21st century? Or is this just an ancient text that is only needed to be read and studied by those who look at history? Or 
Is this important and applicable to my life as a businessman in India? Is this applicable to my life as a student in the 11th class coming up in the 11th class or in the 7th class or as a teacher? How, how important is God's word? Well, I believe it's quite important. I mean, not to say any, like, Christ, my relationship with Christ is the most important thing in my life. Yeah. And it needs to be that way. But then after that, I need to, but to develop my relationship in Christ, I need to read his word. And like he commanded us to study the scriptures. And so since it's Christ told me to do this and He I follow after him, then I need to study after what he wants me to do. And so then it has a higher level, it has a really high level of importance to me because of who Christ is and the importance he has in my life. And how do you get to know him more other than reading exactly the Holy Scriptures? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for me, if I am not in God's word, if I am not reading God's word, let's just say it's been like a, a week or two, or maybe I've gone two weeks without reading God's word, I get really angry and I just get started. I, I get mad at life. I get mad at people. I get mad at if a fly lands on my arm. <laughs> I just get so irritated. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute here. What have I not put into myself? What am I not doing? And I have to do that self-check yet again of, oh yeah, I am not reading God's scripture. And this has just been... Like, like Matt had already mentioned, I asked Christ Jesus into my heart at the age of eight, you know, and there were times like when I was 13, 14, 15, there were times when I was 25, 26, 27. There were times when I was 35, 36, 37. There were those times where I'm like, you know, is this God for real? You know, and I would just put my Bible on the back burner, so to say, just just leave it there. Okay, yeah, I, ha I have my Bible. It's there. The Word of God is there. Um, I'm just not. I'm just gonna choose not to pick it up. I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna read it. And now we've got all the awesome technology of where you can have the Bible app on your mobile mobile devices. You know, yeah. so it's like so you could just ignore it. It's like yeah, I see. I see it's there. Yeah, maybe I need to read it, but I'm not. And my, like I said, my attitude just starts depleting and it gets so ugly that even my own family can recognize it. I mean, I remember being a teenager and my mom would be like, what is your problem? What is your deal? Go into your room and you need to seek the face of God. And I was thankful for my mom in those moments. I'm thankful for my family to call me out on it of hold up here, you know, wait a minute, mommy. Are you reading God's scripture? You know, I, I love that check of that accountability that, you know, when I make that known to others, they can see, huh, I wonder what's going on with her. So the word of God is a steadfastness that I need daily. It's, to me, it's like a daily dose of medicine. A daily strengthener, encouragement, yeah. but also uh, filled with joy and peace. Right. Uh, um, absolutely amazing. Um there's a few scriptures that I, I just want to bring up right now that are so beautiful uh, about Jesus. Uh, he's referencing here in the, from the Old Testament. Uh, first one is Psalm 91, 1 through 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. 
that's just something that speaks so uh, truly that uh, this is, in God's word, is the place that I rest, that I am settled, that I am secure. Um, and yet it's some, the, taking God's word out is so important because we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. All these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then we have Isaiah 30. 18 through 22, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you and therefore he exalts himself to show you mercy. For the Lord is a, a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right and when you turn to the left, then you will do uh, then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things and you will say to them, be gone. And then Psalm 119, verses 11 and 12, 160, 166 through 168. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. This is what Jesus is referencing when he says, abide in my word. Abide in my word. Now we're going to leave this portion of this statement and go on to the next one. But is there anything that we need to talk about before we do that? All right. So you are truly my disciples. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You are truly my followers. You are truly studiers. You are truly students. You are truly children of God. This means we study God's word, the teachings of Jesus. We make him Lord and master of our lives. We trust him. We apply what he says to our life as a student, as a son or a daughter, as a parent, as a teacher, as a business person, in our alone time, in every aspect of our life. That is given to God. We don't take him and remove him out of portions of our lives so that that way we can get away with something. Because if we are Jesus's disciples, we cannot take off that which is us. I can't take off my face and make it somebody else's face. I can't take off my clothes and then all of a sudden become another person. I am Matt Rowlands, and I cannot take off the discipleship of Christ and put on something else at any point of my life. 
And I think this is something that's very important for us to recognize because we think that we can go to church or listen to a godly podcast and then all of a sudden act a different way than what we are saying we believe within church or that podcast or reading scripture. And we can't do that and still be a disciple because that's what's called being a hypocrite. And we're not to be hypocrites. And so therefore, uh, it brings to me uh, a, a recollection. I read Robert Louis Stevenson's book, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, uh, at the end of last year, 2019. And then I read a, a recent adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Miss, Mr. Hyde, which wasn't written by Robert Louis Stevenson, but was uh, just an adaptation of what he said to bring it into quote-unquote modern times. And the recognition of what um, Dr. Uh, Jekyll says in the writings after um, after he dies is this. He says, I loved being somebody that I wasn't. I liked being the person who was uh, looked at as an authoritarian of being a doctor of medicine. I loved the status that I had with that. I loved my house. I loved all those things. But at the same time, within me, there was a portion of my life that I liked going into the dark places of the city. I liked being with prostitutes. I liked being with drug addicts. I liked being around people that were not like what I was portraying myself over here. So I developed a potion that caused me to be created into Mr. Hyde. And as Mr. Hyde, people wouldn't know that I was Dr. Jekyll and I could go about town being somebody different and nobody would know that. And then all of a sudden one day, because of the anger and the rage within me, it caused me to strike out an anger against a poor old woman and he murdered her and maybe murdered even other people. And so therefore he no longer wanted that potion to have control of his life, making him Mr. Hyde. However, throughout time, because he had taken the potion so many times, Mr. Hyde continued to grow with in him, creating stronger and stronger ability to the point where he wouldn't even take this potion, he would automatically turn into Mr. Hyde because Mr. Hyde wanted control of Dr. Jekyll's life. And that is exactly a beautiful example of what sin is trying to do inside of our hearts. We can say we're disciples of Christ, and truly we are when we abide in his word. But when we start taking other things to remove God's word from our heart and chasing after those things, even if they're just temporary, even if they're just for a season, even if they're just for a moment, those things desire to consume us and have us and remove us from God's word. And so we have to guard ourselves against those things. Oh, go ahead. Did you ever read Dr. Jekyll? I've read it twice. I read it at the end of 2019 and the start of this year, or just a couple of weeks ago, I read an adaptation of it. I never read the book. Oh, okay. So I just thought it was about two different people. Oh, no. I, I described a, basically what the book was. I thought it was about a guy who's named Dr. What's his name? Jekyll. Dr. Jekyll. And he has a friend named Mr. Hyde. No, it's the same person. No, it's the same person. He yeah. just plays two different people. And it shows the dangers of acting as two different people in society. Absolutely. Because other people, he wrote this story knowing that other people do it in real life. Yeah. And so he wrote it as a uh, allegory. I, I, I would say so, yeah. He wrote it more as an allegory to show people the dangers of being two different people a in society. A hypocrite, basically. A right? hypocrite, yeah. 
he, he's writing that's what some older books and stuff are is yeah they're an allegory showing you the wrongs of what people are doing and don't be like that and to do that they use scare tactics yes. to try and scare you into not doing it yeah and that's why we get like our old nursery rhymes right. and stuff like that is to scare children or even young adults or adults into not being like the character they wrote in the book because this is what will happen in real life. So yeah. you know, if you ever become a mermaid, you're going to become to turn into sea foam. <laughs> <laughs> what does it mean to be a disciple? What are the struggles that come with this lifestyle? What are the struggles that come with this lifestyle of being a disciple? I know for me, one of the struggles is I fear um, uh, at times people making fun of me. I don't like that. And I know the Bible tells me, blessed are you who are persecuted for my word. But it's still something that I struggle with personally. I, Matt Rolands, don't like it when people make fun of me because I'm a Christian. I don't personally like it when people shun me and don't want anything to do with me because I bring up the Bible. That hurts me. That hurts my feelings. That hurts me all the way to the core of who I am. And that's a struggle that I personally have because I enjoy the company of other people. I enjoy uh, um, brothers whom I can play basketball with and I can chat with and I can sit down and have a cup of coffee with or share a nice bakery item with or do business with. I enjoy those relationships. And so if they look at me with disgust because I worship Jesus, that hurts my feelings. And that's one of the struggles that I have as a disciple of Jesus. Is there anything like that that you guys want to bring up? Well, like, since I'm a teenager, 15, turning 16 in a month, um, I've had many, like, as most people say, as they were teenagers, insecurities about who I am. And most, some, most of it is my insecurity and my faith in Christ because I want to get along with people so much and they say they're Christians and stuff like that. And so I want to get to know who they are yeah. and their relationship with Christ and know them personally. But whenever I get to meet them and get to know them and they're not who I thought they would be or they're not as deeply rooted in Christ as I am. And they say, oh, well, we're Christians, but you're too Christian. You're over Christian, overly <laughs> Christian, like whatever that's supposed to mean. Yeah. I mean, it's upsetting and frustrating, and it it was hard to, and still is hard sometimes to get over the fact that I I am not normal, but right. I'm not called to be. Right. Because normalcy is stupid. <laughs> I don't need to be normal. The body of Christ isn't supposed to be built up of people who are all the same, because then we wouldn't be doing anything. Because the mm. body of Christ, every thing in the body is different. The fingers are connected to the arms and the arms are connected to the shoulder and the shoulders connected to the chest. But each muscle and ligament does something different. Yeah. They're not all the same. We're not all the head. We're not all the chest. We're not all the legs. We're all different parts of the body of Christ. And so I realized I needed to accept my differences from others. And instead of trying to fit in and be normal, I need to be someone who's completely different from who they are. But you need to be yourself. But, you but I need to be who I am. Right. And I'm not going to be a different personality because they want me to be. Yeah. I'm going to be Xavier Lance 
and be who I am. Yeah, absolutely. In Christ. Absolutely. Next, Jesus says, and the truth will set you free. Now, this is what everybody loves to quote as a religious quotation. I think there's a lot of setup uh, that gets us to this part of the statement that Jesus says, uh, which is done away with by so many people who just want to say, and the truth will set you free. Um, and, and that's why I find it so disgusting when people flippantly refer to Jesus in this way or refer to themselves or refer to something that they understand to be the truth. That, that's, that's utterly disgusting to me because the truth is what Jesus is. Jesus is the truth. Like people say, define truth for me. Okay, Jesus. That's the truth. What he speaks is the truth. What he commands is truth. What he gives us as disciples is truth. And Jesus taught us, and then it, what he taught was caught by his disciples throughout the generations, including us today. And this is what we come to understand as truth. Jesus is 100% man. Jesus is 100% divinity, 100% God. And when he speaks, he is speaking the truth. And so when we say, what is that? Um, the truth will set you free. Let's, let's look at what the truth is and, and how it will set me free. The truth of setting me free is I am granted freedom. I am free from fear. It's gone. I am free from corruption. It's gone. I am freed from ceremonial laws that don't give life. Those are gone. My burdens that I think I have to carry, the things that weigh me down throughout the week, the, the trials and tribulations at work, the schedules and the time crunches and the deadlines that I have in front of me, all those burdens in Christ, I am freed from. Not saying that I don't have to do my work. I'm just saying those burdens can be cast on him and the anxiety can then leave me because I am free of those burdens. And yes, I need to get my work done on its deadline. I say that as a boss, but I also say that because I have things that I have to get done. Spiritual enemies. I'm freed from my spiritual enemies and I want to make sure that I express that I say spiritual enemy because some of us can classify our enemies as our brothers, our sisters, and our neighbors. And that's not what we're talking about here because our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors are not our enemies. Spiritual enemies. We have been attacked we are being attacked by spiritual forces that can prevent us from doing the things that we're supposed to be exercising within our freedom in Christ, but in Christ's freedom, those things are gone. We also have freedom that, that equals, uh, I am free to be a son of God. I am free to serve God. I am free to trust God. I'm free from prejudice. I'm free from false notions and conspiracies. I am free from wrongful passions. I'm free from lust. I'm free from the entangled soul that I feel like I could have, and I'm free to develop my mind into a deeper understanding and or understandings. It's okay for me to be free and have authority in what I believe, and it's okay for me to be free and know who I am. It's okay for me to be free and to abide in Christ and to abide in his word and to be able to make statements like, my identity is Christ. Because what happens within this, uh, this idea of 
the truth will set me free, is that carnality constantly grabs at me and it constantly tries to enslave me. The carnality of this world, it tries to teach me to cheat. It tries to teach me to birth new ways of doing sin. The carnality side of mankind encourages my ego. And the carnality continues uh, to help me survive only off my own self-reliance. And that references what Jesus is saying in verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And this is so vital for us to recognize that our freedom comes with abiding in God's word. The truth comes with knowing God more closely and intimately and deeper. And as I study his word, my eyes will be opened, my brain will have the opportunity for larger capacity so that that way I can do even greater things than have been done so far. I am able through the truth of God's word to accomplish things above and beyond what I can think or imagine. I can engineer, I can be an entrepreneur, I can be a person who creates a new design or a new patent or a new part of science. I can be a, a person who discovers something new that's never been thought of before because God's word will open my, my life, my, the resources that are around me and the people that I know. And as I'm no longer prejudiced because I'm freed from that, together with my brothers and sisters, I will have an opportunity to see things come to fruition humanity never thought would be possible. So when I say freedom, when I say we are free, what comes to mind in these moments? So the truth will set us free. And then we can go on and see that a slave does not remain in a, his father's house for, or in a house forever. Only the son remains there forever. And, and I think about the ramifications of what Christ is mentioning here is that a slave is somebody who's temporary. They have access into the house, but they don't have access into the bedrooms. Uh, our, our flat that we live in right now is a four bedroom flat. However, there's five bedrooms to this flat. There is uh, an entrance for us to come in and there is another entrance right next to it that a servant can come into, not entering in the front door of our house, but entering into their own room that is directly on the outside of our house. They, I have a door that is in between their quarters and entering into my house because a servant is somebody who's temporary. Uh, they are somebody who doesn't have full access to everything that is in the house. However, I have a son. Xavier has full access to everything inside of my house. He can walk into my bedroom. Of course, I prefer him to knock on the door first, as he does me whenever I come to his bedroom. Uh, but he has full access to my room. He has full access to my refrigerator. If he's hungry, he can go get something to eat. If he needs, uh, if, if it's not in the refrigerator and it's in the pantry, he can go to the pantry and get something to eat. And if we didn't do, if I didn't do a good job of shopping that week, uh, he can say, Dad, 
we don't have this and I really want it and we can write it on a list and I'll go buy it for him. Whereas a servant doesn't have those luxuries. They don't have those capabilities. And Jesus is saying when we're caught in our sin, we are no different than the servant or no different than a slave who doesn't have full access. But when we abide in the word of God, when we trust in Jesus, when we are truly called disciples and when we are free and we are free indeed in Christ Jesus, we have full access to the Father, just like my son has full access to me. And yet even on a greater capacity, because there's only so much that Xavier and I can have as a relationship, uh, um, because I, I do have to travel sometimes. And so he, his access to me then is only a phone conversation. And, and so there are limitations to his access, but our access to the kingdom of God and to God's throne room is not limited. The only limitations that are put there are the ones that we put there ourselves. And so I wanted to encourage us today to be people who listen to the word of God, who apply it to our lives and to see uh, our lives utterly transformed. And does that mean that struggles are still gonna happen? Absolutely. Does that mean hardships are gonna happen? Yes. Does that mean we're going to have joy and peace? Most definitely. And so in all of these cases, let us abide in the word. Is there anything that you wanted to add as we come to a closing today? All right. As I trust in Jesus, I continue in his word. I am called a disciple and I am brought and bought into adoption as a child of God. I discover the truth and the truth encourages me, challenges me, strengthens me to love myself my family, my neighbors, to discover my environment, to seek ways of helping others, and to surpass sin's limits, and literally reach for the stars. As I am set free from the entanglement of my soul, I am free to pursue God and his radical plan for my life. And that's what I want for you today. That's what I want for my family today. That's what I want for those whom we have influence over is to radically seek after God's plan for our lives. Mallory, will you close us in prayer? Uh, thank you, Jesus, for this day and for every single day and that we're going to have great days today and um, we don't get coronavirus and we don't have World War III. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.